So this morning, we are looking at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. Uh, You'll find the words behind me on the screen or on the screen in front of you. Or if you've got it in your lap, follow along. However, multiple ways to do it. Um, Yeah, Matthew 6, 5 through 15. We're going to sort of live here for a while. Um, Before we read, let's pray. God, we're grateful for, uh, for this book, and uh, grateful for how you put it together, for how you used uh, human vessels, human people to, to sort of mix with your spirit and your presence to uh, give us the narrative of their experience with you. Uh, and even though it's super old, ancient, uh, yet through these words you, you speak to us in new ways here in the present. And so come Holy Spirit and uh, do what you do again. Mix with humanity, bring heaven and earth together so that we can experience you uh, once again. Because we know that in the experience of you and your presence, somehow, some way, even if it's just a little thing, uh, we are changed and transformed. And uh, even though that's hard to change and be transformed, it is so good. So come Holy Spirit upon us, we pray. Amen. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. Here it is. Jesus says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him this then. Well, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. We'll go that far. So, here's the deal. About seven years ago, here at Renew, I did a series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I thought that it would be a good thing for us to revisit. Uh, so I've been doing that. I've been revising and changing and, and making it new and, and fresh for today. And we're going to walk through this prayer again, mainly because I think this prayer um, is just full of a ton of really good theology, Right? Imagine that, Jesus giving us really good theology, right? But it's the kind that can, if we, 
if we let it, can transform us, can change us, can make us new if we're paying, if we're paying close attention. If this is a sort of a, a prayer we live into and lean into and really embrace on a regular basis, it really does have the ability, and I think it has the ability to change the church. Not just this church, but the church. And I think, I think the church today needs some changing. <laughs> um, and I think if we live into these ideas and these deep theological things that Jesus gives us in this prayer, I think, I think it can do that, okay? So we're going to go through this prayer. We're going to sort of go through it line by line and talk about it. Uh, but before we do that, uh, a story. Apparently, there was this little small town. I don't know where it was. Maybe Iowa. I don't know. Tiny town, one church. You know the kind of town I'm talking about? Just really small. Well, it had been historically dry, right? Which means no alcohol sold, right? Or maybe even consumed there. So it had been historically dry until a local businessman uh, got permit, permits and built a bar in the middle of the town. Well, this frustrated the church people at the local church because this is something that church people like to get frustrated about, just like church people to get frustrated about stuff like this, right? So here's what they did. They organized a prayer vigil all night to ask God to do something about all of this. And so they did. They prayed all night. And, and shortly after they were done with their prayer vigil, dark, ominous clouds formed in the western sky. Wind started to blow really hard. The rain was pouring down. Hail was shooting out of the sky like bullets bent on destruction. And a big lightning bolt came down and struck the church, struck the, not the church, the bar, and burned it to the ground. Well, the local bar owner was like, what in the world? So he sued the church claiming that they were responsible for the burning down of his bar. And the church people hired a lawyer to argue in court that it wasn't their fault. Are you kidding me? And so the judge, upon his initial review of the case, had this to say, I don't know how this thing is going to end up, but one thing is clear. The bar owner believes in prayer, and the church people don't. <laughs> oh, that long story to get to that? So good. Anyway, so... What's up with this practice we call prayer? What do you believe about prayer? How do your beliefs about prayer inform your praying? Here's the thing. One question I get as a pastor, more than, more than most questions, is something like this. How do I learn how to pray? How do I pray? It seems like for a lot of people, uh, prayer is, a, is an enigma. It's a tough thing. It's hard to to get a handle on, right? And if we're all honest, we've all struggled with prayer from one time to another. Like prayer can be sort of a struggle. We, sometimes we have problems praying and we're not quite sure why. And if you read Luke's story of the, of the Lord's Prayer, he tells this story in the context of the disciples literally not knowing how to pray. Like they come up to Jesus and they're like, Lord, we don't know what we're doing. Will you teach us to pray? Like these dudes, middle-aged men, right? They don't know what they're... They've been following Jesus, probably the best prayer ever, I imagine. 
Like, they've been following Jesus for like two years, and even they don't know how to pray. They struggle with prayer. They're like, we don't know what we're doing. Will you teach us to pray? And then you got someone like Mother Teresa. Maybe you remember this. Shortly after she died, they, they sort of published some of her journals. And in it, she even recounts how she struggles with prayer, sometimes doubts God's closeness to her, sometimes doubted even God's existence. Even Mother Teresa. So in the ranking of people, which is something we love to do and it's totally appropriate, we've got Jesus, and then right under Jesus is Mother Teresa, right? We're, I don't know where, somewhere over here. But even she struggled with prayer. Prayer, sometimes we struggle, we often struggle with prayer. Sometimes we're not quite sure what we're doing. Sometimes we don't know how we should pray. Like, how long do I pray? How short? How many words? What kind of words? Like normal words? Or do I have to come up with big flowery words in like the right order? Like, do I stand? Do I sit? Do I lay prostrate on the ground? Like, what do I do with my eyes? Do I have to close them? Do I keep them open? What about my hands? Do I fold them? Do I keep them in my lap? Do I hold them out here? Do I put them up into the sky? What am I really doing here? I don't know. I'm so confused. I've lost all concentration while I'm praying. What do I have to do tomorrow anyway? Have anybody, has anybody been there? Like, you try to get into this, this rhythm of praying. You've been told that you should probably get up every morning and spend time reading your Bible and praying. And it's like, oh my goodness, I don't know how to do this. And it, sometimes it gets frustrating, and you do it for a while, and then you just stop because it's a struggle. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. So prayer, it seems, is often sort of a, a tough thing to do, right? Many people have problems with prayer, struggle with praying, but mainly I think we wonder if God even hears our prayers, Frederick Buechner, who wrote this novel called Godric, it's my favorite novel ever, almost won the Pulitzer Prize, right? Uh, it's about a, an old monk, and anyway, I won't go into any details, but in it, Godric says this. He says, what is prayer? It's shooting shafts in the dark. What mark they strike, if any, who's to say? And when I think about those words and I hear those words, I think to myself, I know, Right? What is prayer? It's shooting shafts in the dark. What mark they strike, if any? Who's to say? I mean, think about it. So many of our prayers seem to go, seem to go unanswered. Let's just be honest about that fact. Let's just be honest about it. Like we pray for healing, but when the tests come back, that spot that we were hoping would get smaller hasn't gotten any smaller. In fact, it's even grown a little bit. We, pay, we pray for peace on earth, right? Then we look around at the world, and it doesn't take us very long to figure out that we're a long way away from peace on earth. We can't even get it together in our own country. Things are more polarized now than they ever have been. We can't even get along. Church people can't even get along. Peace on earth? Why are we even praying? What's the point? We pray for our children, but sometimes they even get into trouble. Sometimes they get into deep trouble. We pray that this pandemic will finally fully go away, please, so that we don't have to live in this awkward in-between stage where we're like, is everything going to be all right? I think it's going to be all right. I don't know if it is. And can we stop fighting about masks and all that kind of stuff? And we're like, I don't know what's going on here. 
We pray for health, but the person we're praying for doesn't seem to be getting any better. And it's like the disease or illness seems to have this sort of, this, this grip on them. And you're like, oh. Right? We pray that God would help us quit. That God would help us, help save us from our horrible habits and our debilitating addictions. But we know that the next morning we're just going to get up and do it again. Lord, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. Will you teach us? to pray, please. Master electrician, will you teach us how to wire this house? I mean, he could give all instructions, write down, put a, put a, like put a two-inch thick binder together with page protectors on the pages, and uh, that might be helpful. Right, he could say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this, then that, then do this again. These are the supplies you need. Um, make sure you get a permit, here are the tools you'll need, and that might be helpful. Or the master electrician could come to you and say, oh, I'm wiring a house tomorrow. Why don't you come along with me? You can work alongside me, and we'll do it together. So Jesus says to the people who are there, who've asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He says this then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven those who have debts with us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. I mean, he could have given them a pamphlet, could have written a book, about it, and hand, or a scroll back then, and hand, here's this nice scroll telling you how you should pray. He doesn't do that. He just prays. So good. And it's a short little prayer. I mean, if Twitter was around back then, he could have tweeted this prayer. It's that short. It's a short little prayer, but oh my goodness, it is full of meaning and significance. Just soaking wet. It's a few words, but they're drenched with power. They're drenched with movement, which means it will move us and change us if we let it. Now look, in our world, we're sort of drowning in words. I mean, each day, words are coming at us all the time, especially from this dumb guy who stands in front of us and talks for half an hour. It's like, how many words is he going to use? But we use wor words are everywhere. They're on billboards and ads and signs and articles and TV commercials and podcasts. We get spam and catalogs and junk mail and phone calls and text messages, just an endless pile of email. Words, words, words all over the place on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Sort of words have become cheap today, but... But these words from Jesus are absolutely priceless. That's why he only needs a few of them. Just a few words that form the prayer that could be behind everything we think and say and do if we let it. You see, for Jesus, here's the deal. Prayer isn't just another thing in a bag full of things that makes us religious people. Prayer isn't just another thing in a bag full of things that make us Jesus people, that make us kingdom of God-oriented people. No, for Jesus, prayer is like the heart 
that pumps the blood through our life and our relationship with the one who made us. For Jesus, that's what prayer is. It's, it's so big. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to walk through this. Sound good? Are you with me? So, Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, let's not skip that first word. Let's not skip that our word. Right? Because this our word, our Father, shows us that praying is bigger than ourselves. Like Jesus doesn't ever tell anybody to say, pray, I, me, not one single time. Right? Because prayer is the thing that connects us to every follower of Jesus. Right? It's a communal thing. Eugene Peterson says this, for all of us to pray and pray well, we must move beyond the help me find my keys or get me out of this mud hole prayers. <laughs> mud hole? What is he talking about? We have to move beyond the help me find my keys or get me out of this mud hole prayer. Have you done that? God, I just need a good parking spot. Can you hook me up just this one time? I'm in a hurry. Yeah. Eugene Peterson said we got to move beyond that. Prayer is much, much bigger than that. So we have this thing we do on Sunday mornings where one person will stand up. Usually it's me. Sometimes it's Emily. Some, occasionally there's other people who stand up here and, and they pray in front of everybody, right? Which is kind of weird when you think about it. But here's the thing. Whenever that happens, it isn't just that person's prayer, right? Even though one person is speaking, we're all praying. Even if we're watching online through a screen, one person is speaking, but we're all praying. That person's prayer is our prayer, right? Isn't it interesting that the first word he gives us is that word, our. I think Jesus is giving us a strong, strong signal that prayer, immediately prayer, ought to move us beyond ourselves. Prayer ought to humble us. Don't pray like the hypocrites. We like to do it in front of everybody. No, no, no. Be humble about it. Prayer is the thing that ought to help us step outside of ourselves so that we become more concerned about the world around us, right? See, God isn't my God. God isn't your God. God doesn't belong to the evangelical church. God doesn't belong to any single denomination. God is the God of the universe. We, none of us have God figured out. God is the God of the whole universe, which means God is God of every single person on this blue-green ball thing floating in space we call planet Earth, which means God is God of all people, which means God is, God is our God, and God is also God of our enemies. Like even the people you can think of right now, and I'm sure you can think of a lot of them, that you just can't stand. You know those people who think things differently than you? Who think about the world ought to operate differently than you think the world ought to operate? Right? We should do things. We should go back to the way things were in order to make things great again. All the people 
who think differently than you do, God is their God too. Oh, which means God, this prayer immediately connects us with all of humanity. Our God should give us a sense of solidarity with all human beings who've been made in the image of God and ought to be loved. Our God. That's the first word, and this is how far we've gotten already with one word. We're moved outside of ourselves and humbled and compelled to love. Oh my gosh. God is our God. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father. 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 In Hebrew, it's Av. In, in Aramaic, the, the heart language of Jesus, it's Abba. Listen to this. In Middle Eastern countries still today, like Lebanon and Syria and Palestine and Jordan and Israel, uh, the word Abba is often the first word they teach their children to speak. The first word. Before their little babies learn any other word, they learn Abba. And this word Abba sort of gives us an image of a young, totally dependent little child getting excited about that word rolling off of their tongue. This word Abba gives us a, gets at the early in instinct of a, of a little baby to trust and cry out to the one who gave them life, Abba. Here's the deal. In giving God the name Abba, Jesus makes God personal. Communal, yes, but also personal. Jesus names a person, Abba, Father, not an object, not a thing. You see, God isn't simply just an idea that we human beings have conjured up in our puny little brains. God isn't some Star Wars-like force that we can learn to manipulate and control, though we try to all the time. We don't enter into prayer with the thinking, if I can just get into the right mood, and if I can just say the right words and get them in the right order, I think I can probably get God to do whatever it is I want God to do. It's often what our prayers are, right? Father, a person, a relationship, not someone we can manipulate, can control. A while ago, I, I ran across an article published by the Harvard Health Publications. The title of the article is this, Can Prayer Heal the Sick? Does Prayer Work? You've seen studies like this, right? Like there will be groups of people who try to scientifically study the effects that prayer has on people's health, trying to figure out whether or not it works, right? Well, Harvard commissioned a group of people to study all the studies that have been done about prayer to see if they could answer the question, does prayer work? You know what they came up with? Eh. We don't know. Maybe. Not the answer you were looking for, right? Like we want desperately for someone to tell us scientifically that prayer works. You know what they've come up with? Eh. 
Maybe. You see, for every study that says prayer works, can make someone healthier, there's another, one stu- there's another study that says no, it doesn't have any effect whatsoever. But here's what they did found. They found that 85% of all doctors believe that prayer actually can help heal people. You know what I think? <laughs> I think the question, does prayer work, is the wrong question. I think it's the wrong question because as soon as we take that angle on prayer, we turn it immediately. We turn it into something we use in order to get God to do what we want God to do. As soon as it's proven scientifically that prayer actually works, we will immediately turn it into a manipulative exercise. Won't we? Of course we will. It's what we do. So whether or not prayer works isn't even the point of prayer at all. Because the point of prayer is connection. The point of prayer, the point of prayer is, is relationship. God is Father. Prayer is the heart that pumps blood into our relationship with the divine. God isn't simply an idea that we human beings have conjured up or a Star Wars force like we can sort of manipulate and control. God is Abba. God is Father. We are His kids. His children. Think about this. When you're in a room full of adults and there's a two or three-year-old in the room, who do you pay attention to? You're in a room full of adults, and there's a two- or three-year-old in the room. Who do you pay attention to? Thank you. You're allowed to talk, really. I mean, I've been doing a lot. I'm like heavy lifting on the talking here. Yeah, you pay attention to the child, right? They won't just let you have an adult conversation most of the time, and then when the child wants to tell you a story, oh man, is there anything better than a two or three-year-old telling you a story? They're so excited. They're so animated. They stumble all over their words. They use extreme hyperbole and they exaggerate all the time. But when they're telling you a story, you are just glued. Are you not? I think almost every adult, if you have an ounce of compassion and love in you, like you're always, you respond to a two or three-year-old this way. They're telling you a story and you're leaning in and you're like, uh-huh, really? I can't believe it. Then what happened? And you're like, this kid is crazy. But you're totally glued, right? Because there's connection there that feels so good. Right? We have this thing we do in our, our house at dinner time. It used to work a lot better than it did, but now some of our kids are older. But we would eat dinner together. We still do this. And uh, one of us will ask a question. So, boys, what was the best part of your day? Right? And now that we have teenagers, it doesn't work quite as well as it did when they were littler. But it used to be that that was like one of the best parts of our day. And we would like giggle inside because they would tell us about the best parts of their day. And what they would tell us, the stories they would share, would reveal their heart to us. Would reveal would reveal their hopes, would reveal their dreams to us. 
And it was just so amazing. It made us so happy because that connection was just so, so good. So I'm guessing that every time we pray the words, our Father in heaven, even if we stumble all over our words and we can't get the right words and, and we use extreme hyperbole, even if, we, even if we exaggerate all the time, I'm guessing that God is just glued, just tuned in, can't take God's eyes off of us. And I wonder if, if inside there's this sort of pure joy giggle that God has at the connection with one of God's own a relationship with one of God's own. The divine is connecting with the human. It's so good. So if you're having problems praying or you're struggling with it, maybe just start and stop at our Father and see what happens. More to come. Let's pray.